According to Egyptian novelist and Pulitzer Prize winner Naguib Mahfouz, we can tell whether those around us are clever by their answers. However, we can tell if people are wise by the questions they ask. For anyone out there striving to embody that wisdom by having a mind full of good questions and solid questioning strategies, this is the episode for you. Welcome to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and me, Jenny Labrie. So as many educators know, there is no better way to silence a room of students or adults than to ask any questions. Yet, even since the days of Socrates, questioning has been an absolutely essential element of quality learning experiences. And as coaches, every member of this guild has experienced how powerful it can be to ask the right questions, or better yet, to empower others to ask the questions too. It's then our intention with this episode for it to be a toolkit for educators, whether you work with students or adults, looking to expand their use of questions and to do that by examining the roles and reasons behind why questioning is such a powerful practice and share some strategies for leveling up a little bit. So let's start the conversation with talking about why questioning is such an important practice for not only us as educators, but for also our students. Research tells us that as our students progress through school, our kids are so imaginative, so inquisitive, and so drawn to questions. I cannot tell you how many times my four-year-old today asked me a million questions. But as kids continue on into the systematized view of school that we have right now, their curiosity and ability to question things dramatically declines the older they get. So because so much of what our students' future, what our kids' futures are going to look like is going to require the need to ask really clear pointed questions and to demonstrate inquiry. That's why we as educators need to build more of that into our instruction to get them ready for the future that lies ahead. Why do you both see that questioning being such an important thing for students and educators to learn how to do well? What we're seeing now is a transition from what school used to be in the sense of needing to have the answers correct to prove that you have the information instilled in your mind to more of the need for you to be able to ask difficult or challenging or curious questions to solve problems and to think critically. Knowledge is at our fingertips. You can look anything up, but do you know what you need to look up and why? Those questions are so super important for everyone. And that takes skill. Just think about the types of questions that you even ask at home or with your family or with your friends. There are closed questions that are just yes or no, or there's ones that really expand people's minds. And that's part of this process that we're talking about is how do you ask effective questioning? And how do you get people, whether that's, again, like Casey said, adult learners or helping instill that in children, and as they get into their later years of schooling, want to do that naturally or intuitively without it being something that's forced. 
Jenny, you said it as well as I could possibly. And you even like tickled my little like former librarian brain with that. This idea of how quick and accessible information is to everybody and how the questioning and the ability to form the question, ask the question, ask the right question and assess the question is every bit as important as the answer itself. It's critical. The other thing that I want to bring up too, this is coming from my teacher friends that I've had some conversations with recently. They're noticing that kids right now are having trouble readjusting back to school life. With being in a pandemic for 18 months, our kids who really the last time they were in school, our incoming seventh graders (laughs) were in fifth grade. Really, when you think about the last time they had a school year, that was normal. And so a lot of teachers right now are having to bring up and bring in more social-emotional learning and questioning really ties into when you're talking about classroom and behavior management, having some clear and pointed SEL question techniques in your back pocket can be especially helpful. Whenever you have a student struggling in a moment with their own behavior, getting them to think about what are you feeling right now and trying your best in that moment to get that student to really center on what it is they're thinking about and feeling can be really powerful. What are some questions that you both use when you're trying to support the social emotional piece of students? I really like the power of questions that don't have one right answer or require you to interpret a little bit more. So those interpretive questions are something along the lines of what do you think it means or what is significant or how is this important to you? Because it takes the fear of wanting to be right, but possibly being wrong off the table. So anything that they answer is going to be something that can be explored further with other people in groups or even just one-on-one with that student. And it has potential to allow students to open up more because they don't have to worry about the repercussions of what that answer might be because it's okay to have any answer. One of the things I really like is anything that allows students to make connections. So I would say some of those reflective questions like what does this remind you of? What is this similar to? When is the last time you remember feeling this way? When you can connect something that you're experiencing that might be a little bit strange or uncomfortable even to something that's a little bit more familiar. Coming from the English teacher angle too, I often think about even connecting it to fictional world to real world. When you're able to make connections across experiences, you're able to also then make connections to the universal nature of people's emotions and some of their emotional struggles. And even though they all happen to people for a myriad of different reasons or causes, looking at some of those connections that we can make with our own emotional patterns and with other people's can be really significant. And if you're looking at things too from a restorative lens, if a student has inflicted either harm on somebody or is disrupting the learning community, really engaging them in a decisional conversation process. So this thing happened. This is the way we felt. Each of us, I felt this, you felt this, and giving that student a chance to share what that feeling they were going through was like in a safe space but also saying, where do we go from here? What are some of the things that you've learned throughout this process? What are your next steps? 
after what are my next steps? What should my next steps be? Because kids aren't used to having those sorts of conversations. They're used to being in their own heads, really. And so we have to build in those opportunities to ask them those sorts of questions to work through some of the things that they're thinking and feeling. That's so true. The empowerment piece, you need that. They need that opportunity to be feeling like I can make decisions or I have been empowered to make decisions and it's going to be okay whatever decision I do run with, but we have to start somewhere. And that is the question of where do we go from here? And so many of us, when we're faced with a behavioral issue, we often will say, oh, well, I'll pull the student out in the hall. And it's very much, this is what you were doing. This is how it made the class feel. And it's not that two-way communication. When you're looking at things from more of that restorative lens, it has to be a safe space where everybody can share their truth, share what they're feeling. And that's the only way we can move forward and break through some of those things. So even before you get to the learning component related to questioning, having some sort of skill set in your back pocket with SEL, ways of kids, helping kids work through some of the things they've been feeling. It goes back to Maslow before Bloom. We've said it Mm -hmm. before and we'll say it again. Those Maslow hierarchy of needs need to be addressed first if we're ever going to get to that higher taxonomy level of learning. And that, Jenny, is a perfect segue. Our next section, which is really going to be about looking at both student and teacher questioning and then student to student questioning. And to do this, we're going to play a game here and we're going to play things family feud style. So we've all had some time to reflect on what are some of our best slash most classroom ready questioning strategies teachers could apply with their students or between their students tomorrow. So our goal is to try to see if we can family feud match with each other. What are those top techniques and strategies? We have to buzz in. It would be like me versus Jenny and somebody has to go beep, 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 beep. (laughs) Let's bring this over to the Coakland's. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good answer. Good answer. (laughs) I think I need to volley over to you as games are of this, because clearly you could add a lot more to this. The norms usually in Family Feud are the people are going head to head and we're trying to guess what society thinks the top answers are going to be. So we're trying to think what you think the top answer is going to be, your numero uno. Or your top however many. And you'd be like, actually, that's number three for me, Emily. Jenny's turn. (laughs) Right. So the way this will work is I, Casey, will be survey says. Not because I think I'm almighty and amazing. But I'm going to be basing (laughs) parts of me are. Um, I'm going to be basing this on what I typically would see in my coaching experience or in the other districts that I've visited. So research could be different. But Casey says... (laughs) is the way this is going to roll. So if you feel like you know what Casey would say, you're going to buzz in. So bzz. I thought it's boop, 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 boop. <laughs> is it? It I is. It's boop, 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 boop. Well, then do that. Then okay. boop, boop. <laughs> Sorry, I thought it buzzing. It should buzz. I don't know. Maybe boop. I shouldn't be the rule creator. <laughs> More okay. sound effects. So the first topic we're going to look at for Casey Says, Survey Says, is going to be teachers to students. So whenever a teacher is engaging students in a questioning discussion, 
where do their questions typically fall? Boop, boop, boop. So Copeland family answers first. The Copeland family represented by single member. I was going to say (laughs) comprehension. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Typically, and this is from my own class instruction too. I really thought I was getting to higher levels of analysis and evaluation with my students, but I was just asking them to make sense, to retell, give me the main idea and key differences. And when you're talking about class discussion, that's really not where we want to live, right? Well, I could definitely agree with that one when it comes to the world language classroom. So much to do with comprehension. Do you understand what you're listening to or reading about in another language? So that's definitely from my experience in the classroom as a Spanish teacher, for sure. And I think for any of our teachers who are really thinking and are driven to learn more about questioning and seeing who's talking in your classes is really take some time to record your instruction and look at it either on your own or with a trusted colleague or a coach and determine where are your questions with students living? Are they living in that knowledge comprehension or are you eventually moving up to those analysis or synthesis evaluation style questions? The things that we know lead to more sticky learning. Adding to that too, take a look at your assessments, take a look at your prompts, take a look at your questioning instigators. You can comb through those as well, even if it's not just questions that are asked verbally, but questions that are given to students to work with, to look through those and see where they're falling. Are you just asking comprehension questions or are you moving to a deeper level? Yeah, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier on when we were defining the power of questioning and If there's one single right answer or only an answer or two that are right to find out if they understand what they're reading or if they know a specific fact, then you're really not getting there yet. So how can we get students to start thinking about and answering something that is a lot more open-ended and that could have a variety of possible answers or can lead to more down the road? So since we have said that many of us live when we're delivering or, or engaging in questioning with students, we live in that knowledge or comprehension area. What's an application question that a teacher could use in their classroom with their students tomorrow? Well, it's kind of interesting, but I think finding connections between two things. So connect this to either thing we learned previously or something that you've experienced or seen. So like, where would you have seen an example of photosynthesis? Describe trying to connect it to the world that they see regularly. What about analysis or synthesis? Synthesis is a huge one that I'm hearing a lot from teachers that are wanting more opportunity to develop that skill in their students or help their students develop that skill is better put. When you combine two ideas or you're combining two resources or you're giving them more than one element to be looking at and talking about and putting together. That often happens. Again, I'm going back to world language. We can do that even synthesizing what we're listening to and what we're reading and how we can put those resources into actually what Emily's talking about with connecting or applying. So you're Mm -hmm. doing more than one of those skills at the same time. 
synthesis is actually where my favorite question ever lives and that's what if i think uh synthesis is where the the what if questions live and that's my that's my fave and for analysis even if we start in that id knowledge and then that comprehension it's always asking what evidence can you find how do you know show me how you know with whatever specific evidence you can find and i love emily your comment about what might happen if we do x y and z that really builds into that synthesis piece and then for evaluation it's what's the most important and why prioritize what are some specific criteria that you would use for dot 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 so really finding and monitoring during your instruction or after your instruction where are you living and making some gains to try to get to those higher levels of conversation all right ready for family feud number two Yep. Let's I do it. Down, Copeland. <laughs> oh, snap. Watch out, LeBrie We all family. know that I'm the slow one, so <laughs> I my hopes aren't high for me, but I'm, I'm ready. We also know that I'm the type who would just yell boop, 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 whether I have anything to say or not. <laughs> let's go. All right. So this is going to come from student to student. So since we mentioned in the opening how big of a challenge it can be for some of our older students to step into that position of being able to create and ask their own questions, what is the number one way you can scaffold student to student questioning, according to Casey? Oh, this is hard. Because I know what I want to say, but I don't know if Casey will say it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm doing the thing. Go ahead. Just go. Just boop, boop, boop it. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Coakland Sorry. family. The Coakland family believes the Veach survey says providing potential stems for questioning. Ooh. <laughs> uh, there's, that's my first red X, you guys. I, wrote, right. I buzzed in. Oh, you did. Pa- go ahead. Pass it to the Labrie family. <laughs> QFT, question formulation technique. (laughs) And go with me on this. Go with me on this. And this comes directly out of the Emily Coakland book. So I apologize that the (laughs) Coakland family got this wrong because I sure as you know what thought you would have. It's the Uh, role piece. Yeah, It's the role piece for me. And here's why. Because as a student in class, I was always super, super quiet. I never wanted to step out and think... (laughs) For myself, <laughs> as terrible as that is to admit, but embodying a skeptic role gives me that permission to ask that question. And I do think that providing the stems for questioning is fantastic as a starting off point. Sometimes you just need that person to have the permission to be that skeptic. You know, you just make a really good point with that, Casey, because it is interesting. I was thinking of all those stems, and just as you were describing that scenario, you could have the best question stems in the world, but it could very easily end up always being the same kids that are asking them if you don't provide a little bit more structure about who asks how and when. So good point there. And to what I've noticed is sometimes kids get in a rut with STEMs because as they go through the system, so often we lean on STEMs to jumpstart the thinking, but a role puts more ownership on a student to create that question because they don't have the menu of options right at the front. So when you're talking about 
rigorous instruction without necessarily being harder, using a brainstormer, using a researcher, using a skeptic or a summarizer, meaning this is what I heard you say, is that correct, can be very freeing and really give somebody a little bit of a push to ask more questions during a discussion. And I'm even thinking of some of those roles, if they're not super serious, could be something along the lines of what would your mom ask? Right. If she were in this position, or how would your best friend ask this question, takes that pressure off of the individual and lets them think outside, kind of like you're saying, Casey, but even in a funny way, or it can be less intimidating. And having the roles can help create the stems. I think that's Mm -hmm. what you're saying, too. If you start with a role, the stem can come directly from that. But tell me more, Jenny, about QFT. I know. I can't believe I used that as one of my answers for like, it's not common at all. But I got too eager and excited because I love QFT itself. The question formulation technique is something I've dabbled in. And I this is going back to my roots of even before I was coaching and Emily, you were coaching me through this particular. Yes, I love QFT too. So it's generating questions. It's getting students to be really curious and be not looking for any answers whatsoever, but asking the questions that are necessary to find out what they want to know. So it really is about going into a particular lesson without a worksheet in mind or without any kind of agenda from you as the teacher, but with a very sticky prompt or something that is like a hook. And then having students generate the questions that they want to learn from that particular topic and then helping them connect the dots to the particular standards and targets that you have assigned for them, but yet they're the ones that take the onus on themselves to asking those types of questions. And Emily, what am I leaving out? Is there anything else in your experience when you were working with me and my students and how that looked and what stood out to you? So two little things. So first of all, I would point out that stimulus that you use to hook the students in could be any number of things. It could be a quote, it could be a video, it could be an image. So just whatever it is that kind of instigates student thought, but usually it's providing them something. The focus, the topic yeah. focus, I think is a the focal term point. they use. Yeah, yeah. that they, you're using to try to get the students generating questions. And then there is a specific protocol where students mm-hmm. are supposed to be generating as many questions as they can without second guessing those questions. So I'd say that's a really crucial part of QFT is getting the students to just generate questions without thinking about whether they're good questions or whether that's a question they actually know. Yeah, no judgment. And I think that that process of getting students out of their head can be really, really powerful in terms of the types of questions that they're able to put out there. And oftentimes the questions get better and better, even as Mm -hmm. after they think they don't have any more, then they pull out some incredible ones. And then I would say the last thing is there's also a little bit of examination about the questions themselves. And like you had mentioned earlier, Jenny, I think you were talking about open questions and closed questions that sometimes can be a part of the QFT process too. looking at questions that are open, making them closed, looking at questions that are closed, making them open to consider the like you said with this idea of research and inquiry am i asking the right questions am i asking the questions the way i want to ask them to get the answers that are most important to me and it does end with some prioritization which of these questions are the big questions now that i've looked them all over so it can really really be cool thing to do and that's probably something we could do a whole jamming episode Another on because episode it's on. so yeah. fun yeah but it's, uh, there it's are, a really great way there are two specific things that i noticed coming from 
doing this consistently in my classes over time that it developed in students. It had authentic engagement already in there. They were interested and wanting to be a part of it because there was the ownership that I talked about. And the other thing is it just made them better at questioning. And Emily, you pointed out, and I just wanted to reiterate again, when we first start doing QFT with kids, it's like, oh, the questions are kind of boring. They're not mm-hmm. super They're superficial or surface. Yeah. Like they and focus. it takes over time. It takes that gentle evaluation of, and that's another way of evaluating the types of questions that they're doing. And when, as Emily points out, that they're prioritizing them, their skill at questioning, the actual act of questioning, grows over time as well. And that's just another way to scaffold getting kids to start thinking about deeper, more impactful, meaningful questions that matter to them. Right. And I think, too, with respect to that prioritization piece, the process or the protocol of the question formulation technique, the prioritization can change. So it's not necessarily always just what's the biggest question or what's the question that ties most to our enduring understanding or essential question for this unit. What is the most important question to you? Or what would the most important question be to someone who lives in another country, you can change that up to add some fresh perspective as you use this more regularly because you want to. For anyone who wants to learn more about the QFT process, definitely check out the resources available from the Right Question Institute. They're the ones who generated the question formulation technique. They have some amazing stuff out there to support student-centered questioning. And you can tweak it to work for anything you need to. We tweaked it Mm -hmm. for working in a world language classroom where we were speaking a target language and we made it work. So, And I've seen people do it in math, social Mm -hmm. studies. It's absolutely, you could have a math problem, be a question focus and have kids break down and ask questions about whatever that math solution or problem is. So you can do it anywhere. All right, ready for another family feud. Is this the last one? This is the last one. So this one, we may do a couple of these for this particular topic, because this topic is near and dear to all of our hearts. This is teacher coach style questioning. We have generated a list, right? We have a list of questions that we, the three of us, have used very regularly. So according to the Veach survey, what is Casey's most favorite question? to ask in a coaching cycle. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Jenny family, Libri family. Jenny family. <laughs> Jenny family. Remember my last name? <laughs> That's amazing. You're like a one name champion, like Cher or something. Just one name. There you go. This is the Veach survey. Veach survey. This wouldn't be my answer, but because Veach is games are, how can I help you? Oh, that is so mine. Yay! Yay! Ding, 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 whatever the sound is. <laughs> yeah. I love that question. And this is another one of the, in our Milk Margarita Malort series, Lindsay Zilly, I had mentioned, I stole everything that I've ever done that's amazing, courtesy of Kim Darche. And that's one I've stolen from her because it immediately, whenever I ask that question, I see a physical shift in the person that I'm talking to. I see it shift from a, oh my gosh, (laughs) I have to meet with Casey. What are we talking about? I see the pressure just melt 
off of somebody because they know that when I'm sitting across from them, I'm there to support them, whatever they need. And it really is a question of empowerment. So yes, that is the number one Casey question. (laughs) And that's how you know that you're getting the pulse on where somebody is and you're meeting them where they're at. Without asking that question, you might be bringing in an agenda with you. Right. And granted, we need agendas to keep us on track and we need agendas to be ready and in place so that we can be productive. But that's an early question you want to ask right away, just so that you can meet them where they're at. And then you can get on to what you need to or make the connections you need to from how you can help to what our agenda and what what our purpose is for the day. And it also can be used throughout a conversation. So sometimes a coaching session will start with, hey, how's it going? How are you feeling today? And it will spiral into a venting sort of, I need to get this off my chest. And that's a perfect segue, like, how can I help? What do you need from me in this moment to be able to move past whatever is going on? Because there's a lot going on in schools right now. So, well, And to dip into Elena Aguilar's work a little bit, speaking of opening and closing questions, having that be a more closed questions where you say, do you want me to offer some advice? Do you just want to vent and have me listen to you? What do you need from me? Which role do you want me to play in this conversation? Mm-hmm. Too? Sometimes, especially if you're noticing there's starting to be a venting spin on it, you might see that what they want from you or need from you in that situation could change depending on what their emotions are as this questioning process is occurring. What are your guys' favorite coaching questions to ask someone that you're coaching? I love the question, what else? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I even bring that into like the five whys. Essentially, it's two different questions that kind of get to the same purpose, the what else is getting them to think deeper, or what else aren't we thinking about, or we've talked a lot about something, but I want you to maybe switch it differently so that what else is going on that we haven't uncovered yet. And sometimes that works out really well, but sometimes it might still be very superficial. It's not getting to the depth that you might need. And that's where I really like the five whys. So I even call a spade a spade and tell someone I'm coaching that we're going to, let's try this out. Stick with me with this. It might seem a little contrived, but there's a purpose. We'll get to it. And that's where you'll say, why? And then they'll answer it. And then you'll say, why? And then they'll answer it. And it takes you along this journey where it's interesting because it stays along the same vein, but you're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of the issue or the meat of the whatever the content is that you're trying to get at in the coaching cycle. So there are two different questions, but essentially it's getting them to think deeper about what they need. I love that. It almost brings me back to earlier I said, I can't tell you how many questions my four-year-old asked me oh, today. Yeah. Most of them are wise. <laughs> Yeah, But in childhood, we often go, we want to know why things are the way they are. And I do think we need that very specific reflection time to really think about, well, why is this happening? Why do I feel that? Why do I feel that? So I love, thank you for reminding me of that one. Mm-hmm. What about you, Em? Mine's pretty tied into yours. Yours was how can I help and mine is the what do you need from me? So once Mm -hmm. you've already gone around the questioning or talked or looked at data or whatever the point of the coaching session is, I cannot in right conscience leave a coaching session without asking more or less what my homework is. What can I do Mm -hmm. 
to take something off your plate and move us closer to this in the next place. I think you can really lean into the partnership principle that's active there, that we are both members of this coaching cycle and working towards the achievement of this goal. Is there something I can research? Is there something I can create? Is there something that I can prepare? Is there something that you'd like me to look at so that we can move closer to this goal without you having to punch out more time on your incredibly busy schedule. What can I do to get us there for you in service of you in that way? So that's a really important one for me because I think it does allow for some of that reciprocity that you really want to be a part of every one of your coaching conversations. That's great. I'm Casey. Mm -hmm. Am I allowed to do one more? Yeah. So I feel like if I didn't mention this one in this episode that I would regret it. So I feel like I'm cheating a little bit, but I also wanted to talk about my second favorite question or type of question. And that is what's on your mind. Sometimes I switch it up and I'll be like, what's on your mind when you're driving home, Mm. when you're driving home and just anybody can relate to that. Think about when you leave the office for the day, or you leave the classroom for the day, or you leave wherever you've been the whole day and you're in your car and you're reflecting on your day what's on your mind. And typically what you find is whatever is on your mind is something that's either stressing you out or you're struggling with, or you need to work more on, or you need more time with. And so that really helps get to a purpose for goal setting, Mm -hmm. especially if you're in those early stages of a coaching cycle. And just adding to that, I would say the other thing that can often stick in people's minds is the exact flip side of that stressor is that thing that they're super excited about. I would say a lot of the Mm -hmm. vehicular coaching I've done of my sister, who's a fifth grade teacher, (laughs) has been about whatever she's really excited about and just didn't get a chance to talk to anybody about or try during the day. That's a way of unwinding, but also getting through that thought process and having that joy and curiosity come to the surface, too. I think you need a side business. Vehicular coaching. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, you've done it for me, too. Instead of karaoke in cars, coaching in cars. Coaching in cars with coffee. (laughs) That sounds like my life. (laughs) And what's hilarious about this last exchange is in my head, I was saying, what else? (laughs) What else? And you all did it because we've been doing this work for so long that we automatically just go to that lens naturally yeah take away time to take all this away together i'm reflecting a little bit about specifically these last couple of questions and even tying back to the sel piece questioning really taps into the human side of us when we question and give other people the space to answer a question or to reflect on a question, we're really getting to the heart of who they are. When we're talking at or to, we're not really breaking into that gooey center or peering back behind the curtain of what's the, someone's thinking about what's on their mind. And for me, questioning is that first immediate tool that I always go back to and need to always go back to, to really help whoever it is I'm working with learn, or just feel like they've been made a connection or feel heard? I would say my biggest takeaway is actually, I kind of enjoyed that we both got that second family feud wrong and that you had an opportunity, (laughs) Casey, to instigate our thought process about how important it is that people understand their role 
in the questioning process. I know we were just thinking about students, but it came up again when we were talking about coaching and that idea of how can I help or what do you need from me? What role do you want me to play in this conversation? The understanding of what your role is as a questioner and or a person being asked a question is really integral to the success of that questioning process. So I appreciate the reminder on that. That'd be the takeaway I'd pull for today. My takeaway for questioning, it postures you into that immediate role as a learner. It naturally makes you curious and polite and willing to learn. And I know that's a skill we need more of in this world across the board from our kids, from our adolescent learners, adults. The more we approach our life wanting to ask questions, the more approachable you are, the easier it is to help people become more vulnerable with you and open up and grow. When we come at it with, we've got answers and we know all the answers, but I would argue that society doesn't have all the answers right now and we need more people in that posture of questioning. We would make a better world if we could be more in sync with that curiosity to learn. Yeah, model curiosity first. Our kids learn, we all learn better from seeing models. So what do our listeners have to look forward to coming up in the next couple of weeks from us? We're going to be recording a episode called Network Connectivity Issues. We are looking at one with quite a few, including the title, uh, references to Parks and Rec, and the idea of maintaining your guild over space, over time, how you continue to be in touch with the people and prioritize the people that you learn best with and from even if your circumstances change or your job position changes or you find yourself experiencing a a different phase of life away from the day-to-day with the members of your guild so please stay tuned for that one we're really looking forward to bringing to your ears and that's it for this episode of the grounded learners guild Many thanks to you for choosing to engage with our Guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teaming. If you'd like to connect with the Guild, the power of the PLN continues. You can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already, or if you're finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review? It helps us to improve our work, allows us to bring you quality and customized content, and assists others in finding our guild as well. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream. Thanks again for joining us. Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode of the Grounded Learners Guild. See you at the next Guild meeting. And in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.